This is Ed Cohen, your broadcast host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, a news service of Global HR News. Coming to you today from California, our special guest today is Amy Capalanti-Wolf, who's a senior executive with a company called Symantec. Let's say hello, Amy. Hi, how are you? Yes, great. Thanks for being our guest today. Amy, tell us about Symantec. I've recently noticed in the media that uh, there's been some kind of an acquisition deal. First, tell us about Symantec and maybe about that deal, how it impacts you, and, and then I'll ask you to discuss yourself and your role. Perfect. Well, um, there's no lack of change at Symantec. I've been here for five years. It's a company that's grounded in a mission around protecting people's data and making the world a safer place. We're the largest software cybersecurity company in the world. We have an enterprise business and a consumer business. Most people are more familiar with the consumer side, which is our LifeLock and Norton businesses that protect our consumers. And we're about 12,000 employees. We're global. And we're about close to $5 billion in revenue. Wow. Good. So how long have you been with the uh, company? I've been here for five years, and back to your question about, hey, what's going on? You've heard some stuff in the news. Net-net is um, cybersecurity is really, really hot right now, and uh, we have an opportunity by which a company called Broadcom, which has traditionally been a semiconductor hardware company uh, that is moving into the software space with a recent acquisition of uh, Computer Associates, is going to be acquiring our enterprise business. And as a result of that acquisition, we will now be a solely focused cybersecurity consumer business. So lots of excitement going on and also lots of change as a result of that acquisition. I see. So when you say consumer, the company will be marketing primarily as a, as a consumer vehicle, not as a business-to-business? That's right. It'll be B2C and it'll be things like LifeLock and Norton and it's data protection, privacy, a secure platform for how you do your emails every day as a consumer. Well, that sounds like a great deal. I think it's a, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I saw the number of like $10 billion in cash. That's huge. Yeah, $10.7 billion acquisition. Yes, it's, it's a big change for us because we've been both an enterprise and consumer business. But I think it's going to be a nice marriage with our enterprise business with Broadcom. And now allows us to get really focused on what is to be for us a very growing market on the consumer side. Well, congrats. Uh, so your job is not going to change? My job's going to get complex because part of my work will be helping move the Broadcom employees from Symantec over, as well as getting consumers stood up, and then working on things such as stranded costs, which is the, the part of the organization that doesn't move to Broadcom. So a lot of heavy lifting in terms of transition, real estate, employees, et cetera. So my job will be shifting to really focus on that right now. Okay, great. So with your experience and what it looks like you'll be doing in the future, to what extent is the culture changing? Well, it's interesting because we've been on a cultural journey for the last uh, year and a half to two years. Symantec had been largely built on lots of acquisitions over the years. When you make lots of acquisitions, you tend to bring in different cultures, different mindsets, different talent. And while we are good at the acquisition, I think the integration of these different cultures was something that we didn't have as keen of a focus on. So for the last year and a half, we were focusing on how do you marry 
our business strategy around the enterprise and consumer businesses to the kind of culture we need to really see success in those businesses. And so in the last year and a half, we've done a lot of work related to align the strategy to the culture, a ton of employee listening, both from pulse surveys as well as focus groups about what the employees expect of leadership in terms of the culture we're creating. Now, a lot of leadership cascading and training on how managers and leaders think about how they lead in this new culture. All that work has been terrific. We've stood up a lot of really uh, good alignment around the strategy and the culture. And with this recent action related to the acquisition, we're going to get really focused on the kind of culture consumer needs as a standalone business. So part of the marketing game these days uh, is nothing new, but it's just rebranding everything. Uh, so telling a story, storytelling about how the product fits lifestyles. I would think the security uh, with LifeLock and Norton is a, just a wonderful story to talk about. It is, and I think that's what makes us so unique. So there's been lots of topsy-turvy times at Symantec in terms of some leadership changes at the top. But what has remained very consistent is the employee base and their commitment to our mission. Because we really do help people get protected from all the bad guys out there. So it's an easy mission for folks to get around. Nobody wants their data stolen or their identity stolen or their businesses to be brought to their knees because of someone holding them hostage. And so that's those stories that we tell around the work we've done uh, finding viruses turning down the bad guys, um, actually having arrests occur as a result of something that we found has been a big rally cry for the employees here at Symantec. So when you say holding hostage, does this mean ransomware or malware? Yes, yes, all those things, all those bad things that are artifacts of bad actors. To what extent does this drive hiring new, new people or different kinds of people, or is there no change? In general, we're able to always attract really mission-driven people because this work requires people who really want to deal with complex problems that actually have real speed and urgency to getting them solved. And I think the same thing would be said perhaps even more closely with the consumer team because now you're dealing with people that are families, you know, our friends, ourselves. And so I think the mission becomes even more personal now that you're doing direct marketing and selling directly to the consumer. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's a really good discussion about aligning culture and business strategy. So that's throughout the organization, just not in HR, correct? Oh, of course. Yes. I, as the head of HR, was a strong architect behind this work, but it has to be owned by the business leaders because we are, as a team, really trying to drive the right behaviors and alignment around what we think is most important. And then we're having our employees hold us accountable uh, to ensure that our say-do ratio is strong and that we are committed to what we said we were going to be as a company and as a leadership team. So if I can drill down a little bit about the product and how it relates to all of this in a vertical. So the product is some kind of systematic software, right, that people buy and install, and then, then it watches what you're doing. Uh, so, I mean, how does that work? You know, I, I know this is not a technical talk show here, but how would that work from off the cuff from you? Tell me. So there's several different types of offerings, and to boil it down to its simplest parts and components, it's a software that you download onto your phone, and the software looks for abnormalities in terms of the data that you're sharing, the data that you're receiving, whether it's detection of any sort of intrusion that's not um, someone that's part of your network. So it's, it's watching in a way that is highly protected and secure. 
none of your data is ever going to get access to anybody on the outside. And we don't look at it in terms of the content of the data. We look more about what's coming in that might be something that's bringing a bad actor into into the whether the mobile phone or to your your computer, your your um, your device. And we have that one piece. And we also have a monitoring program that actually, if indeed there is fraud, either it's a credit card, your identity has been stolen, we have a service that also manages that and will help you mitigate that issue and shut down the source that's creating this intrusion and on, and also help you perhaps get your credit back or help you get your identity back. So it's both a service on the LifeLock side that's bundled with our Norton product, which is all about protection, antivirus, making certain that your, your computer works quickly and productively, so it also has a productivity aspect to it. But largely, it's around making certain that you're working in a secure environment for, to do your work or to do your live your life every day. Talking about the public, if somebody has a competitive product and they're interested in uh, Norton LifeLock, for instance, do they have to get rid of the other one? It just depends. I mean, we have a full suite. So we have lots of different packages you can choose that might suit your business. It just has to look at what do you have today and is it redundant to what LifeLock and Norton offers and then what's the, what, the best protection for you. So it all depends individually about what kind of service or software you're using to, to garner that protection. So about data protection, that's obviously a big deal, and you guys would be right in the middle of all that, right? So what happens to all this information that Semantic would would have? Information is anonymized. So we don't have access into individual consumer information other than if you're with LifeLock, that's around your own personal financial or your your, your personal information that we have a very strict code of conduct related to how we manage that. But we don't actually see it at the individual level on the consumer side in an aggregate view. So we have a very strong internal security team in terms of how we're looking at securing the data, who has access to it, how we use the data. At the end of the day, it's really about making certain that if we see anomalies in a person's profile or things that look abnormal to how they normally operate, then that's our opportunity to alert them either through our software or through a call from someone from our LifeLock team that says, I'm seeing some activity that that requires you to us to connect to talk about what's going on in your account. Excellent. Thank you for that response. I want to shift gears now to belonging <laughs> people. Is belonging equal to inclusion 2.0? <laughs> you know, what's your take on all that? Well, I mean, to me, belonging is an outcome of inclusion, is an outcome of diversity, right? So if you if you have a place where people feel like, hey, uh, what I says matters, um, I can bring my best self into work and I can be different and still be embraced. If I feel like I'm included versus looking on the outside in, then you've got inclusion. And with inclusion comes the feeling of be- belonging. So it's sort of like you know, going to the dance and then knowing all the all the songs to the dance. You know, being included is being invited to the dance. Belonging is being able to sing along with other people so you feel like you're part of a larger populace of people and that you count in that populace of people. And if you get it really right, then you get diverse people and diverse mindsets that want to join and thrive in your company because they know they'll be valued even though they may not look exactly like the next person beside them. Okay, so how do you teach? I assume you teach all this through storytelling or going bowling together or doing something <laughs> like that. 
Well, we do it. We do a lot. We do a lot of different ways because I, I, what I don't want to do is like put everybody through conscious inclusion training and then they are sprayed and prayed and now they are all, you know, acolytes of this stuff. It takes lots of different systemic approaches. So it starts first with having a strong leadership platform and position on what we expect of people in terms of behaviors, what we won't tolerate and showing actions to lacking that tolerance to things that aren't appropriate or, or okay. So one is a leadership platform, constant communication, and being serious about the outcomes we're driving towards. Two is around creating employee resource groups, which are groups of cohorts of people who may have likened similar shared values and have a representation where they want to help the business grow, but they also have a way to connect and stay connected. So for instance, I am the executive sponsor for the Early in Career Employee Resource Group, which helps them think about how to navigate in their first job outside of school or earlier in their career and how to really leverage them as innovators into our business. The third thing is about having HR practices and systems that don't have bias in them. So removing things like descriptions for jobs that have a lot of gender bias, making certain your interview process void of bias, that you've got diverse slates that you're bringing in, so opening up a wider pipeline if you're recruiting and making certain the people who are doing the interviewing are also diverse. And the last thing is get my leadership aligned from an inclusive leadership, servant leadership mindset, which is giving them the kind of training and the development and the accountability about how they lead in a time where diversity really matters, not only because it's the right thing, but it drives better business performance. So you take all those things together and that's where you begin to build a cohesive framework and strategy about how you create inclusive and inclusivity and belonging in your environment and get to diversity. And that's strategic. But on tactical, uh, what do you do on like tomorrow at noontime in order to effectuate that? Is there a, a group food trucks to have diff- outside in the parking lot that feature different kinds of ethnic foods and everybody has to taste certain foods and then have a discussion about it. How do you do all that? I personally, from a tactical level, think it's how you show up to work every day. It's how I just had a, a, a team meeting this morning and I brought in people I wasn't hearing from. I was in a state of inquiry to kind of draw people into the discussion. I listened to ideas. I let people drive while I sat back and listened. It's sort of how you show up every day, whether you show up welcoming other ideas, whether you're willing to actually stay in a fierce discussion to help influence somebody against maybe a point of view or a mindset that isn't accretive to the company and having those fierce discussions. It's about sometimes admitting when you are wrong and that you weren't open and didn't think about that other person's perspective. It's all those sort of things you teach your kids that are the values that if they live their life, and also realize we're going to make mistakes and there's forgiveness, that's how it starts. It's not, you know, you check a box and it's done, or you go have dinner with somebody and it's done. It, 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 it requires constant feeding, it's organic, and constant sort of reflection on, did I, did I bring my best self to work today? Did I shut somebody down? Was I closed-minded? So this is constant 24-7 stuff. It, it, I mean, it's not like having a kumbaya moment. It's really, uh, and so what did you think about uh, the president's speech? Not to get into politics or anything, but I mean, so many issues are in the public square now that it impacts everybody, whether or not they pay attention. It's like, boy, you know, this is impacting everybody every day, almost 
about everything. So everybody has an opinion about diversity or about what, what does it mean? Or what do I have to do? That's right. I mean, it's, it's like you're living in a small community when you're in a company of our size. It's, you know, most towns and small cities are around 12,000 employees. So you have to kind of think about, one, if you really believe diversity is important, then that's something that you want to make certain you hire towards. So if people are closed around that, don't have the right mindset, so maybe this isn't the right place for them. So it starts with how you recruit, how you reward and reinforce performance and rewards and incent behaviors. Um, it's the tough decisions that you make about who stays or goes because they're not aligning towards how we want to be as a company and how we want to treat people. So it requires, it's it's really like there's the accidental culture and there is the intentional culture. Accidental cultures are super easy because you can do whatever you want to do uh, and not have to worry about the consequence, but they don't perform well. And at the end of the day, it's not how anybody wants to work in a company. They want to know what the operating norms are. In a purposeful culture and one that is really Planful, you have to pay attention to this stuff and you have to be able to sometimes retract or call back on things or have an open discussion or say, I don't know, or, you know, be, be open to the dialogue that's going to ensue. And you're right. There's a ton of rhetoric out there. There's a ton of just vitriolic things happening out um, outside of, of our everyday jobs. And so you bring that into work with you because it's on your mind. And sometimes you have to have the conversations with folks to them to be able to voice their concerns. But at the end of the day, it's what you are here in the company and how the company is run that, that really helps shape the conversations that are happening in the workplace. Thanks, Amy. So you're in the business uh, basically of automation, right? Because there's machines doing all this. It's not humans who are looking out. I'm talking about LifeLock and Norton kind of things. Right. There are people who build the software and then you have some people are monitoring. There are some people aspects, and some of it is absolutely right. There's anomalies. There's algorithms. There's things that say danger, danger, Will Robinson. There's a problem here. So yes. Okay. So are the robots taking over in your shop, or, or what? Are people being retrained to learn how to work with machines? I don't think we are in a position where we have more robots than we have people. I think we have programs in terms of what we've programmed in terms of uh, coding that allow us to do this work, but I don't see this huge generational suddenly we're being taken over by robots. What I think is really good about robots, I think sometimes people get threatened by, is they do make things faster, faster output, quicker detection, but you still need people in there to one, program them, and two, you need sometimes the, the notion that as a result of that, that bot, I can now do higher order things. So it allows people to kind of do the next order of work that makes them more productive and also improves their skill set. So I would say we use them for what they're intended for, but I would not say that we feel like they are taking over, if you will, Symantec. So just summarize, if you can, as we come to a close here, about the benefits of automation in the workplace versus the threats of automation to the workforce. Absolutely. Well, I think so that there are tons of threats, there's no question. Everything from when you program AI, you as the human have bias that you might be actually programming into it, which will proliferate a lot faster than if it was being operated by a, a person. But on the benefit side, I think one, it'll help us to get to our customers faster, better to help them solve their problems and for them to run productively. 
you know, there was a virus at a large shipping company that infiltrated their operating systems and took their business down for like a week. And it was upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars lost in productivity. So when you have AI in your business, it helps to find those things more quickly and help your customers win. Two, it requires the, the employees to be reskilled and sometimes they're able to do more fulfilling work because they're not in the weeds trying to do things that maybe a bot could do faster and allows them to get retrained for things that might make them more marketable and also help them put forth their career. And the last thing is with bots, it allows you to get dashboards in general around the performance of your company and allows you to be able to pivot more quickly around where you've got gaps in performance, gaps in productivity. So from a shareholder perspective, it's certainly going to make a company run more effectively. So it has impacts positively, I think, to society because we're able to solve problems more rapidly. It's helping our shareholders in terms of the performance of the company. And hopefully the employees see the benefit because it allows them to do some of the work they aren't able to get to because they are in the minutia of the things that, that an AI might therefore help them with. Okay. So you're going to be hiring people? Yep, we continue to hire people, yes. Oh, that's great. How do you spell the name Symantec? What's the website, too? S-Y-M-A-N-T-E-C. So it's www.symantec.com. So, Amy Capalanti-Wolf, thank you very much for being my VIP today on Global HR News, globalradiotalkshow.com. I really appreciate this. Well, I'll tell you, it's been my complete pleasure, and I couldn't thank you enough for the time, Ed. Take care. Thank you, and goodbye. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful day.